A Life in IP. I'm Ben Chapman, a patent attorney at Cartmills and Ransford, and today I'm joined by Hugh Goodfellow, managing partner of Cartmills and Ransford. Um, Hugh has had a long and distinguished career in intellectual property, and today I'll be talking to him about the past, the present, and the future of the IP profession. So, Hugh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. Nice to be here. Thanks for joining us. Um, so, to begin, would you be able to give our listeners sort of a, a rundown of your background and your career? Yeah, for sure. So I've been at Cartmel's for just over 25 years, almost 26 now. Uh, I joined in January 1996, having done a degree in biochemistry, and then I stayed on at uni to do a three, three and a half year PhD. So I joined literally just um, a week after my Viva for my PhD. Uh, so yeah, straight from one thing into another. And that was um, 25 years ago then, so I imagine... Things looked a little bit different when you started out as a trainee patent attorney. Things were very different, yeah. The firm was very much smaller for a start, uh, and I think we've modernised a huge amount since since I started. The firm that I joined was, I think to say the least, pretty old-fashioned. <laughs> the last outgoing managing partner had just about stopped wearing his bowler hat. But everyone wore suits and... You address the partners by their surnames, you know, Mr. This, Mr. That, rather than their first names. And it was, yeah, quite, quite hierarchical. Um, very, very different to a much flatter structure that we now have. I mean, as you say, Cartmills has changed a lot. I mean, it's changed a lot just in the time that I've been working in the profession, which is the last eight years. And I've seen us nearly double in size. You know, we've got a few hundred people in the office now. Yeah, that's right. When I joined, there were 60 of us. Uh, there were 10 partners and probably just another 10 fee earners. And then everyone else was, you know, administrative staff, secretaries, record staff and so on. And, yeah, and I say it was hierarchical. I think probably the people that everyone was most scared of were the secretaries. <laughs> they sort of ruled the roost. Um, so the first thing you had to do was to make sure that you uh, – you made friends with one of the senior secretaries and then you could get your work done. I mean, I suppose that some things change, some things don't change. I know that everyone is definitely still scared of the secretaries more than anyone else. <laughs> yeah, it was a different world, though. I mean, we had telex machines, we had just about fax machines. There was no emails. Uh, I think it was a very, very good training. Um the amount of work that we had to deal with was much less. The number of files, as we call it, number of projects that we had per day was very much uh, fewer. But I think as a result, you got a very good training. Um, the way it worked was as a trainee that you went into partners' offices and they explained the job that was at hand. And then they sent you away to think about it and to read the documents you had to read. And then you came up with your first draft of a letter and then you went uh, tried to get it typed by someone. You know, that, that in itself was quite a job. Uh, and then once typed, you then took it to the partner and then you went through it line by line, lots of red pen. And it was quite a drawn out process for sure. And the time that you took was sort of registered on a on a sheet within the file, written down, recorded later for someone to go through and, and invoiced in due course. But it was very, very different in terms of the number of files that you dealt with per day. Like I said, there was no email, so everything was done on a fairly arcane basis. Mm. Uh, but it was a good training. It was it was good training and it was fun. As you say, I mean, that, that's changed 
now the I mean the volume of work that everyone is dealing with is a bit higher. Uh, but I suppose with that comes a big variety of cases. I know that you can flip from one case to another really easily. And I suppose that's driven in part by technology and the fact that everything is at your fingertips and you're not having to go away, find the paper file, bring that out. And you can work on lots of different things quite efficiently in a day. And that helps. I think that's right, Ben. Yeah. Uh, I think in terms of the enjoyment of the job now, it's far greater because we're spending time thinking thinking laterally, reading the documents and working out how to advance our client's position, not wandering around trying to get things typed or uh, uh, that kind of thing, or walking around the offices trying to sort of get things checked by partners and so on. So in terms of the number of things that comes across your desk, uh, very many more, many more projects. You probably do get trained much more quickly. You get client contact much more quickly. You learn much more quickly than you used to. So things definitely have advanced um, very much since I started. Mm. I think also, I suppose, the and COVID's advanced this as well, the sort of the hierarchical nature of the office where we all used to come in and you'd start at sometime between eight and nine you know, in the office and then you'd work till lunch, you'd have an hour lunch break and then you'd start again and then you'd work till the evening, whatever time you clocked off and go home again. Things have become hugely modernised, certainly in those last 25 years but even in the last two years we're now um, working from home a lot of the time we're in the office about half the time I suppose less of a commute less of a burden on commute more time with the family more time at home more time for yourself so a lot of modernization has gone on in the last couple of years and a lot less time uh, wandering around the office trying to track people (laughs) down when you want to discuss something with them because they're at the end of Zoom and you can just intrude on their desk, uh, wherever they may be. Exactly. I mean, the office we've been in for the last 10 years or so has glass doors and so on. So you, you still, there's a degree to which you can wander around and chat to people. Most of the office doors are open anyway. But yeah, you're absolutely right. The firm I started at, you had to, it was basically an enormous house in Bloomsbury Square that had been knocked into from three to one. Maybe it was four to one. But yeah, you'd, you'd wander throughout this this enormous old house up and down stairs through holes in the wall and so on. And you get to someone's door and find they were on the phone or there was a queue already outside the door of people who also wanted to see the same partner. So yeah, all of that's got rid of now. And I mean, you touched on technology there. there. <clears throat> it's funny, it's really, uh, technology really has changed how we've interacted with colleagues and with our clients just in the last couple of years in particular. Um, I always find it interesting. I feel like the relationship that we have with our clients now is a lot closer uh, now that we're on Zoom calls all the time. We've gone from a position where, you know, you might send them letters. Occasionally, you might have a phone call with them that was organised in advance. But now you're there, you're a box on their screen, but every single one of their colleagues is probably a box on their screen at some point or another. So you're sort of on on a level footing as all the colleagues within their own teams and and you're just joining in yeah i think that's a good point i mean there's an awful lot that's been written in the media and so on about whether or not trainees are losing out by not being able to watch the way that they're you know the people who've been working longer do things i actually think that that ignores what you've just said that actually we're probably watching each other much more than we ever did before and we're certainly meeting clients much much more frequently um, much earlier than we did before. Mm. When I started 
probably wasn't two or three years until I went to, across to California and across to America to meet clients, see them face to face. And now people are doing that on the screen from the, from the outset. And the accessibility, the ability to bring trainees and, and other members of the team into a call is much greater because mm. you either just get together around a table and, and, and do it over Zoom and everybody can see each other or you're actually all on Zoom at the same time. So I, I think there's a, it's definitely possible that people will learn more and more quickly than they used to. I think that's particularly true with a, a firm like Cartmills. You know, it's a private practice, so we're only working for our clients, but also a lot of our clients are based abroad. So up until quite recently, it'd be very rare for new starters to have much access to the clients in a, in a face-to-face sense, um, whereas now it's happening all the time. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I think the the firm I first joined seemed to sort of, maybe not intentionally, but by default give the impression that the partners did all the work because there'd be letters or faxes that would go out in a partner's name to a client, which had actually been written and researched by the trainees or the people lower down the uh, lower down the, 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 the hierarchy, as it were. But now it's very clear who's done the work and who's read the documents because they're on the Zoom call with you. Mm. And I can say, hey, Ben, you know, what, does, what does this document say? And you can answer and give your own views to what it says with someone more senior just, just sort of checking that nothing goes off the rails, as it were. <laughs> and so, you know, there's, there's been lots that has changed over the last couple of years, but also over the course of your career. But what do you think stayed the same? What hasn't changed? What's what's the true constants of the IP profession? I think probably a couple of things. Firstly, the sort of person who will be good at this job. Mm. So that person needs to be naturally curious, investigative, I think, lateral thinking. There's a certain type of person, certain type of intelligence that successful patent attorneys have. My wife always talks about it as a uh, and she says, your job is just spot the difference. <laughs> and there's some there's some sort of uh, truth to that in that when you're arguing for the patentability of your client's inventions, you're trying to show what's different to what people have done before and what it is that wouldn't necessarily have been obvious for an inventor to do. Um, so, you know, people I think that, that succeed are obviously um, people who understand science but also people who naturally look at the world around them with a curious eye. Mm. Um, so that's what makes a good patent attorney. I think what makes a good person at Cartmills in particular probably stems from our culture. Mm. We have a very warm, almost a family culture, despite the size that we now are at. Very supportive. Um, it's not competitive. If you have a question, then you can go knock on any door and someone will answer. They don't. They won't worry that in giving you their answer that they're sort of somehow, somehow uh, harming their own career. It's it's a very very team based thing. Um, we call it the hive mind. It's not our own word, but you know it's used all over the industry. But you're more likely to come up with a result for your client if if you have a lot of people sort of contributing towards helping them get what they want. You're right. I mean, that's always been. Something that we do well at Cartmills, I feel, is the lack of hierarchy, particularly in the last, I don't know, again, I'm talking from my experience, the last eight years, I suppose, maybe it doesn't reach all the way back uh, through the Cartmills history, but there's not too much hierarchy. I feel like from day one, you can go into a partner's office, you can throw ideas around, 
um, and there's no expectation that any particular member of the team will will have the best idea. The best ideas can come from anywhere. And as you say, you, you have this culture where you can wander into anyone's office, ask them questions and work things out together. I think that's right. I think there's also a reality that, again, I think the most successful leaders of the business are probably ones who have the most humility. We've always said this, but um, we always try and recruit people who are smarter than we are ourselves. Uh, and I think that's happening all the time. Obviously, the education system is changing, um, but I think also the training system's changing. So we recruit, we try and recruit, you know, the best, not just the best minds, but going back to what I was saying earlier about the sort of curious, investigative, lateral thinking people, we try to recruit the best of their generation in that sense, but also people who will fit into our structure. Uh, and that's where's the flip side of, of growing and, uh, moving from a small firm to a much larger, larger firm is that we now have career structure, a greater training, a greater organisation to personal development. So I think it's it's not just that natural humility of the leaders of our business, but a reality that we're training up people who inevitably will be better at the job than we were ourselves at that stage. Mm. I think that's probably true. It's certainly nice to think that um, the firm will continue to improve both in terms of its people and I suppose everything else. Yeah, I suppose it's one of the unique things, maybe it's not unique, but one of the things about Cartmails is that you don't just work for one partner mm. when you come in. You don't go and sit in his or her office and learn from them. You work for five, six, maybe maybe ten partners. And so you can pick the bits that you like as you go through your training and discard perhaps the bits that you don't like. And evolve, yes, evolve into the perfect patent attorney. <laughs> <laughs> what, with lots of uh, cross-pollination of different ways of approaching problems and that sort of thing from everyone you're working with? I think that's right, yeah. And I think if you get the team structure set up well, so that, as you were saying earlier, anybody can throw in a comment, however junior, however uh, you know, early in their training, and expect that comment to be treated just as as just as relevant as someone who's been doing the job for for an awful long time. That's the sort of environment you want. And you mentioned before, as you say, I mean, it's been very much accelerated by the last two years. We've even before that, we've moved from a situation where you were in the office from eight in the morning till whenever you leave at night, five days a week, um, to one which is a bit more flexible. And I think that's quite an important part of the way that the you know, Cartmills is modernising, but I imagine it's a, it's a way that the whole industry is modernising, really. Um, it's being more flexible in the approach to work, and that's allowing people to be just a bit more flexible about how they balance work with their other life commitments. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Ben. And that's certainly happened in the last two years, you know, by needs. But I think it was already happening to some extent already. People were already working sometimes two days a week from home. We have the technology, We have the, everybody here has a laptop. Um, so when the pandemic hit, you know, we did need to order a few more laptops, but we, everybody went home at the end of February that, that, that year, 2020, and almost immediately started working from home. You know, the, the great experiment, what would happen? Would everybody just sit down and start watching Netflix or would they just get on with their jobs? And it was amazing. Everybody did just get on with their jobs and move to... 
I suppose, a, a way of doing things whereby they did things much more flexibly. Uh, we were very keen to make sure everybody stayed on top of their mental health and their physical health as well. So we would encourage people to go on walks or runs or cycle or whatever they do, um, make sure they looked after their kids. Lots of people were struggling with kids who were being educated at home as well. And so suddenly we flipped from a slightly nine to five or an eight to six or whatever it was environment into an environment where you just needed to get your work done, much more output-driven environment. And as long as you got your work done, nobody really cared where or when you did it. A lot of people were still coming into the office because their home setups weren't great. But people would, you know, you'd see, you'd see people getting up in the morning and doing a few hours before school time or whatever, um, and then starting again in the evening. Uh, but as long as people got their work done, that was that was fine. And I think we've kind of kept that. We've kept the good bits and yeah, discarded the old, rather more rigid ways of working, which nobody particularly cared for. I think that's, um, you know, where there are positives to come out of things. It's It's great that people are able to, as you say, take that more flexible approach and have things fit in well. And I think at the end of the day, it, it helps people work in a way that works well for them and ultimately that benefits everybody yeah i think you need to keep an eye on it though don't you i yeah. work from home yesterday and uh where i don't normally and you just find yourself not shutting your laptop you just kind of keep going because there's not really you know there's no particularly particular time when you need to sort of turn it off so you need to you know you need to slam that laptop lid shut go and cook something or whatever it is that you do in the evenings yeah when you're no longer aiming for you know the 1824 from waterloo and you need to leave the office at a particular time to make it it's it's sometimes hard to delineate when the end of the day is yeah quite so yeah we've talked a lot about what what changes there have been going in the future what's what changes are still to come well, still I suppose to come. on the ways of working side of things we're still piloting what actually works uh, and trying to sort of filter what works from what doesn't work we've had for a month or so now at least until the the most recent um tightening of the rules came we had a system whereby everybody was expected to be in the office two days a week and at least one of them a tuesday or a thursday and that worked well um i think people are finding probably the reality for for some is they like to be in the office all the time some would rather be at home more of the time and speaking for myself, I've quite enjoyed spending a bit of time at home and a bit of time back in the office. For me, at least, mm. I think working all the time at home would just be, yeah, I just don't think I'd deal with that very well. <laughs> you need to meet people. You know, we were talking about teamwork earlier, but there's only so much you can really do long term on Zoom. I think it would be very, I would find it anyway, very depressing to think that I wasn't going to see any of my people in real life you know, forever. Um, so, you know, we've got, to, we've got to sort all that out. I know lots of different firms across London and the rest of Europe are juggling with those pressures at the moment. There are other more sort of, um, I suppose, legal framework type things that are coming down the pipe. We've got something called the Unified Patent Court that is going to start next year that we're tooling up for. And the Unified Patent Court, that's a uh new court that will uh, look at the infringement and validity of patents across the EU. So whereas these things are dealt with in 
individual national courts of particular countries at the moment, it's going to be possible to bring actions that have effect across all of Europe at once. So it's quite quite an, quite a significant change to how patents can be litigated. Absolutely. And a very exciting time for anyone listening to this who is thinking about coming into the profession. There's going to be a huge change in the way, as you say, patents are litigated across Europe. A lot of excitement as to how that system's going to work. Firms like Cartmills are, you know, one of very few firms that will be able to handle UK court work, uh, UPC, European Patent Office work as well, uh, with our Munich office. Um, yeah, we're, we're well set up and we're thinking of, of how we're going to train people up into that new world. Because, well, as I understand it, when the UPC comes in, European patent attorneys are going to be very much involved in how that court is run. Um, but everyone's, I think, still a little bit in the dark as to what really the work day-to-day will look like for practitioners who are focusing on the UPC. Yes, absolutely right. I've just got off the phone, actually, um, one of my client listening conversations with a big pharmaceutical company based in Switzerland. And yeah, they're, they're very much thinking about how they're going to run the UPC which sort of which type of attorney they want to use. It's going to be based on written procedures, very tight timelines. So firms that have a good legacy of European patent opposition work will be very well placed. And I think firms that have litigators will be very well placed because whilst the whole system was set up for European patent attorneys to do the majority of the work, you do need that strategic oversight from litigators because they're a very different breed. Mm. And on that point, Hugh, I, I think it's probably worth pointing out that Cartmos is quite unique in that we have both patent attorneys and litigators as part of the partnership. Indeed, yeah. Another reason for those who are listening and thinking of getting into the profession, uh, if that's a side of things that interests you, then this is one of the very few firms that does work like that. It gives you not only the basic patent attorney skills of drafting patent applications to describe inventions that your clients come up with, but also getting those patents granted. Then when they're opposed, then you can defend your clients' patents for them. And then beyond the European Patent Office, when it actually gets to the sort of the real nuts and bolts of litigation, then you can get involved with those projects as well. So yeah, it's an exciting time for the firm, I think. Agreed. And do you think this is a model that might proliferate throughout the wider intellectual property profession? I think it could, yeah. I think it it might well do. It rather depends on whether the UPC as a concept, that unified patent court you were describing, is a success. If it's a success, then I think a lot of firms will have to acquire both patent attorney and litigator specialisms. Mm. So yeah, it would be the obvious thing to do. Certainly very normal in America because of, because of the system they have. Uh, they've always had litigators and patent agents in the same firm. But Germany are ahead of us in that respect. And yeah, uh, and now the UK is following suit. I mean, Ben, you've been involved with a couple of litigations yourself, haven't you? How have yeah, you enjoyed it's, it? Yeah, it's a great experience. Um, in a previous episode of our podcast, we uh, spoke to Ingrid, who's a member of the DR team, and we discussed how helpful it is, I think, for both of the professions to be able to learn from each other as part of your training and your career. And it makes for a really interesting type of work. 
and a very informative type of work because as a patent attorney you can come in and be part of the litigation and the contentious side of things and not only is that really interesting and stimulating in its own right but it's a very clear and sharp education of what to do and what not to do when you're prosecuting prosecuting a patent Mm. in view of how it's eventually going to be used or could be used in a court Mm. i think that makes for a lot of interesting work uh, for the patent attorneys and for the solicitors so i think enjoy having patent attorney colleagues to turn to with our maybe slightly more uh, in-depth technical expertise yeah no i'm sure that's right and i think again any listeners who are thinking of the profession, I think the amount of IP work is just going to go up and up and up. It has since I started, as I say, 25 years ago. Our firm was 60 and it's now over 300. But there are many other firms in London as well who've gone, maybe not grown quite so much, but certainly have doubled in size or even tripled in size in that period of time. And we are, I would say, supply limited. We need good trainees to come to come in and, and do the work. There's just so much out there. The importance of IP is just getting getting greater and greater. It's a good good position to be in where you're, where you're in a growth industry, as it were. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And as IP becomes more important to people generally, uh, I suppose they're looking for the best firms as well. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, I mean, jobs in the industry are, are, are quite hard to come by. I think that might actually become less the case as the word gets about that this sort of job is is available and also great fun um (laughs) when i was like i say going back to how long i've been doing it but it really wasn't a very well-known profession at all but of all the all the friends i have you know who as you can imagine they're you know from all sorts of walks of life and have chosen all sorts of careers i think it's the patent attorneys that i talk to that are you know, regularly say, I love what I do, and I'd do it even if I didn't have to. Uh, I think that, yeah, that and medics, you're married to a medic, aren't you? I am, I am. I am. My wife is an anaesthetist, so I'm an occasional medic widower. <laughs> right. But yeah, those are the two professions I can think out of my friends, people that really get an awful lot out of what they do. Of course there are more, but I guess if people are listening to this, then they're already half interested in IP. Exactly. Well, I'm just mindful of the time, Hugh, um, and I guess I'd just like to say thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been a really interesting conversation, really nice to hear your reflections on on your career and, and where the profession has been and is going. Um, but before you go, I've got a final question that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast. Uh, what, what's your favourite part of your job as a patent attorney, if you had to pick just one? It's got to be the hearings, I think. Those mm. times when you're in front of a tribunal arguing your case, uh, not knowing what questions you're going to get, not knowing what the other side's going to say, and you really have to be nimble and on the, on the, on the balls of your feet and use, use your knowledge of, of, the, of the case, use your knowledge of science, uh, just use your wits, I suppose, to try and give the right answer. That's definitely I- the most fun, I think. <laughs> I, th- I, I can agree with you there. It's definitely where you, you very much feel at the sharp end of everything. Um, you can prepare a case for months and months and months and still be surprised by the questions that come your way and the things that you have to develop on the day in terms of arguments. Mm. Yeah. Well, again, thanks, Hugh, for, for joining us. Um, and thank you for listening to Discover IP. 
we hope you'll join us again soon for more insights into careers in IP. And so please do subscribe wherever you usually get your podcasts. And if you'd like to find out more about a career in IP or you'd just like to get in touch, then please contact us at recruitment at cartmills.com. Thanks, Ben. It's been fun. Thanks, you. Thanks, you.